the conclusion of the conversation at the well. Up to this point, we talked about the fact that Jesus had to be in Samaria. The Bible says he must meet, he must needs be in Samaria. And the reason why is because there was a divine appointment by God that he be there to talk to this woman. By the time we get to verse 26, a whole lot has transpired. But the bottom line is this, as Jesus was talking with her and she was trying to figure out what he was talking about, this living water and what kind of water it was and where it was and how could she get it. And she uh, was kind of confused on some issues because she thought he was talking about real, literal water. But Jesus was talking about he himself being that water that if she was to drink of him, she would never thirst. Talked about the fact that uh, on that mountain where they were, or that place where they were, that her forefathers had built a temple and did all these things. She was really confused about a lot of things. But by the time we get to verse 26, and Jesus makes this magnificent announcement, he says here in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. In the Greek it is ego eimi. In other words, she said, we're looking for the Christ, we're looking for the promised one, and Jesus says, by the way, I am he. Who you're talking about, who everybody's anticipating to come, is now literally standing in front of, him, in front of you. You no longer have to wait. I who speak to you am he. Verse 27 is a great verse because just as Jesus was saying this to her, the Bible says just then, at that moment, he talks to her. At that moment, just then, his disciples come back. Somebody says, where were they? Well, remember, they went off in verse 8 to go get some food and stuff because they've been on a long journey. But at the moment, Jesus talks to this woman at the well and says, I am he. At that precise moment, the disciples arrive. That's amazing. The old-timer, Sister Tammy, would say he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. Why is he on time? Because in the context of what Christ was doing, it was important that his disciples hear him say. He had never said this to anybody. Not even his own men knew what he was about ready to say. But when he said, I am he, that's when they arrived. And the significance of that is this. Number one, he was breaking down all social and religious barriers. He a Jew, talking to a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans did have not have anything to do with each other. So the fact that he was at that well talking to her and the fact that she was a woman and he was a man was another significant thing. The fact that he was considered a rabbi talking to a woman, giving to her the words of eternal life, giving to her instructions from the word was also amazing because in a social context, women did not receive teachings from rabbis or teachings from the Bible as we know it today. In that context, they were considered not able to know. They didn't need to. It was on a need-to-know basis, which is why today, in spite of all the stuff that women think they don't have, you've been given an elevated position by Jesus himself. The fact that he tells her, this woman who has 
no distinction of the fact that she was a Samaritan and really he shouldn't even be talking to her. The fact that he shares with her the words of eternal life is significant. And the fact that now, just then, when he says this to her, his disciples hear him tell her about something they themselves didn't even know about. Just then, that's when the disciples come back. And this is a marvelous moment because it says as he, as he, as he came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. I mean, he was like, wow, Jesus is, Jesus is talking to, to this woman. Who is she? And they had in their minds, they're asking all kinds of questions. Well, what do you seek or why? They asked the questions, but they didn't say it. What do you seek or why are you talking with her? Now, the moment's also marvelous because of what Jesus did. But notice, the sole purpose why she came to the well was to get water. Jesus tells her, I, who you're looking for, I am he. What does she do? Before we even get out of the verse, she leaves her water pot. She leaves her water jar. The sole reason why she came, she left to go back to tell somebody about what had happened to her. How many people come into the house of God and they bring whatever it is they bring with them? But when you have a confrontation, when you have a moment, a, mar a miraculous moment or a marvelous moment with Christ, you leave whatever it is you brought with you and you leave with something you did not even expect to get. She came to get water because it was noonday and it was hot. And because of her a conversation with Jesus, she leaves her water pot. Now, there's a whole lot of speculation. On, uh, you, you could deal with the water pot. Why did she leave the water pot? Did she just forget? Or was she excited because now she's going back to the city and tell the, the, the people and the men about what had happened to her? Or did she leave the water pot because Jesus had asked her for a drink of water and she left the water pot so that now Jesus could actually get a drink of water because she'd already done what she was supposed to do? She just left her water pot. But whatever the reason is, the fact is, many times we bring things in with us. All of our junk that we walk into the house of God with, and if we really have a confrontation with Christ, we meet him. He meets us on the need street of your life. What happens is what you brought in, you have to leave because now you know who the risen Savior is. So you may come in mad. You may come in upset. You may come in this morning not really wanting to be here. You may be mad at your husband. You may be mad at your wife. You may be upset with your kids. You're thinking about the ball games down the road. You're thinking about the food you're going to eat later. All the things that we bring into the house of God that has nothing to do with worship. We bring all that stuff in. And yet, hopefully, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, we leave out of here going, man. I came in with my head bowed down, but now I can leave with my head looking up. What am I looking up to? Not just the ceiling and the light. Beyond that, I'm looking unto the hills from which cometh my help, recognizing that all my help comes from the Lord. So she left. And the Bible says she went back into the city. The woman left. The water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Now, this is interesting because she has a confrontation with Jesus. 
She encounters him. And she says, come see, in this case, a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, that could have been scary because some Bible, some translations that you may have of King James or New King James, it says she went back to the men of the city. The NIV, the ESV, and others says she went back to the people. But whether the people or the men, even if it says people, it's in the masculine gender. Why is that significant? Because remember I just told you, women were not allowed to know spiritual truth. She's pretty shrewd. Because what she does is she says, listen, if I just go back and just tell anybody, tell my girlfriends, hey, guess what happened? I met a man at the well and he told me, it ain't going to have no significance. But if I go to the men of the city, those who are supposed to be the, the leaders, those who are supposed to, supposed to know some stuff, if I frame it right, and notice what she says. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Some of those men don't know, but you know what her reputation was. They may have been a little nervous because she's saying this man who she met told her all that she ever did. And if any of them had any dealings with her, uh-oh, things are happening. Ooh, if he told you everything that you did, and I am one of the things that he could have talked about, whoa, let me, uh, you know. But she's smart because she says, wait a minute, he told me all that I ever did. And she asks, can this, could this be the, the Christ? I really don't know. But I think you might be able to discern better than I can discern if he really is the Christ. Giving validity to what happened to her, but also allowing them the opportunity to go see for themselves. So you can come to church and do all you want to, but sometimes people need to know for themselves. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot what? Make him drink. And one of the current problems that is, that's going on in a lot of churches, a lot of people are coming, but they're not drinking. They got the same problem this woman had, that they, they're coming, but they're not drinking of the, the fountain of living water. And that's what Jesus is trying to get her to see. Oh, you come to this well and you can get water, but you need just more than just H2O. You need living water. The only water that you can get that comes from God himself. So she goes back and she says, could, could, could this be the Christ? And I think it's, in, it's incumbent upon her because she recognizes that these men are now going to give validity. And then it says, because she did that, they're all leaving out of town, and, they, and, they, and they, they're starting to come to him. Well, let's go, check. let's go check this dude out. Let's see if this guy, I mean, she's telling us that he told her, and could, can this be the Christ? We've been anticipating Christ all along. Is this really him? Well, let's go check it out. So you can tell somebody, and by the way you and I live, that God makes a difference in your life. That's what we should be saying. That yes. When I look at my old ways and now my new life in Christ, you know, I'm a different person. But people can come and check it out for themselves. Okay, you want me to come here to hear what you hear so that I can see the reason why you act a little bit different. Yeah, come see a man. 
Yeah, come to this place called the church. Come to this place, 225 Randolph Street, where we will learn about who Christ is. How do you learn that? Well, we learn it by looking at the Bible. We learn it by coming to Sunday school. We learn it by coming on Wednesday night. We learn it because there's a man of God who's going to stand up and tell us the word of God and explain to us what the scripture should say. And as we go through all that, we grow, we develop, and we be what God wants us to be. See, so many people stop at the first. They, they think that if they just come and that's it. Well, no, that's not it. No, you need to grow. Many of you have told me the only reason why you are where you are in your spiritual journey is because you made it a part of your life to be more involved in what's going on at your church, and you're learning more now than you ever had before. And because you're learning about the Word, you're now better off because the more of the Word is getting down in you. So for all those that don't come and don't learn, that's why, where they, that's why they are where they are, stagnant, stale, no growth, no nothing, because they are not learning from the book. If you're learning from the Bible, you cannot help but grow. But if you don't, then you are where you are. You're a pygmy. You're a runt. You're a baby. That's why half the time in the church, we're spending time with people rattling their rattle because they're still babies. What did Paul say? Paul said, wait a minute. You've been in the church long enough that you ought to be able to handle strong meat. Oh, I don't need to give you mashed up mashed potatoes. I don't need to squish your vegetables, give you baby food. You've been around for a long time. You ought to be mature enough to handle the pure, sincere milk of the word, that, that solid diet. I, I ought to be able to give some of you steak. But because your teeth are bad. And your dentures don't hold. That's why I keep getting to give us mashed potatoes. Something that when you chew, it's not going to cause your teeth to slide all over the place. And get all bent out of joint. And then you get a little piece of popcorn stuck underneath your, your dentures. And you know, your poly, grit, your poly didn't, didn't grip your dentures. All that. that's, why, that's why churches spend a lot of time doing that. Because we're immature. When we ought to be on solid food. Here they go. They, they go find out. They, they, they want to find out if this guy, who is this man that has told her? And evidently by her life, she, she must be different because they, they, they wouldn't go just because they had to see something in her. And what I'm saying is for us here today, the reason why people should come because they see something different in us. Not perfection, but something different. Maybe you don't cuss as much as you used to. Every now and then you might slip a word out, but hey, you know, but it ain't like it used to be. Maybe some of the places you used to go, you don't go no more. Why? Not because it necessarily was a bad place, but your life is being changed. I mean, there's some places you just say, and your friends go, come on, girl, we used to, well, you know what? I used to do that. I can't do that no more. What's wrong with you? Oh, you think you're too good to come with us, huh? You think, you, you think you're somebody? No. No, I don't think I'm somebody. My life has changed. There was times on Saturday nights I'd be at the club. I'd be at the wherever I'm doing. I can't do that no more. Why? Ain't no harm in that. Well, maybe in of itself, no, but I'm growing and I'm learning more about the Bible and the Spirit of God has convicted me that I, I, I shouldn't go there. 
There are a lot of things that we do that in and of themselves may be innocent, but you can't ask the question. Maybe some of the places we go, some things that we do is a stumbling block to those that are around us. Because they can't put one and one and get two. They put one and one and get a hundred. Well, wait a minute. I mean, is there anything wrong with going to in uh, myself? Necessarily. But you gotta ask the question. Is it necessary? If it's not necessary, then maybe we shouldn't do it. And definitely if it's tripping somebody up. Oh, let me just, you know. If, if, if somebody saw me come out of Kroger's and they looked and they were right behind me or watched me push my little car through Kroger's. Hey, Pastor, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing? Wonderful, wonderful. What you got there? Oh, I got some bread. I got some milk. I got this. And I got a bottle of wine. Oh, oh. Or maybe a, a pack of beer or that Mike's lemonade. <laughs> well, Pastor, I mean, they may not say anything. They give you the... You know, like, like, you know, look you get when you get people, like, oh, he got some mics. I didn't know Pastor was like that. He, he drinks. Why is it different for the pastor when it's not different for everybody else? We all should have, you know. I was telling somebody today, I said, you know what, don't be shocked. As, as, as we move on, and play. there may be some Sundays I'm not going to be in a suit and a tie. As the weather changes, I may have on a shirt and a vest or a sweater. Some Sunday, I may have on a pair of jeans and a shirt and a, and a, and a jacket, you know. Because he's, he's not a pastor because he doesn't wear a suit and tie. Well, since when being a pastor means you got to wear a suit and tie. I don't say that about you because you don't wear a suit and tie. I don't say you're not a member because you don't wear a dress and all that. Be comfortable. Be presentable. If I'm, in a, if I'm in a pair of jeans and a shirt, amen, pastor. Now, that means I come in my jeans and you know how we do it. Well, he did it, so I'll do it. She comes. They want to check all this out. That's what we do. They, we want to check all this stuff out. They, they can't believe that evidently something's new and different about, about her. Now, here's what happens. We have a magnificent announcement, I am the Son of God. We have this marvelous moment when Jesus tells her that at the moment that he makes this announcement, she comes and the disciples come and they hear all of this. She leaves her water pot there. But in the next few verses, I believe she got it. I think she understood what was going on. Why I say that. She understood because it says Jesus... Jesus is reading her heart, and she has been forced to face herself. Nobody knows you like Jesus. Oh, I've been married to the same woman 30 years. I kind of know her. The operative word is kind of. Don't know her to the fullest. Jesus knows her entirely. Just the moment I think I figure out she does something, <laughs> that I just go, what? Where would that come from? Okay? But Jesus is dealing with her at the heart of who she is. He's forcing her to face herself. And every time you and I come into the sound of the word of God, we are forced to see who we are in light of 
what the Bible says. See, the two tests of our, our faith and our commitment to the Lord is this. It's not what I think. It's not my opinion. It's not how I feel because my thinking, my opinions, and how I feel may be totally contrary to this book. How I was raised by my grandma when she was in church, how my pastors back in the day preached, not that they were wrong. Maybe they didn't know everything there was to know. But now that we live in a, in a time that all of a sudden we're receiving more truth, we have to conform what we learn to the truth of God's word rather than what our tradition and what we think is. Because maybe what we thought, maybe our thinking wasn't developed as fully as it should have been. Well, back when I was in church, he didn't talk about that kind of stuff, Pastor. We never learned all that. Okay, given. But now we are. Got to adjust your thinking. Let me go back to my Bible, check this out. Oh, yeah, that's what it says. And I know I've got people in my congregation that think a lot of stuff that I teach is my own personal preference and what I think and what I'm trying to push in my agenda. It's not about my agenda. It's not what I'm trying to push. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Okay? That's what, I, that's what I've been called to do. It's not about that I'm trying to do A, B, C, D. Oh, no, no, no. I, if I do A, B, C, and D, it's because that's what God says we should be doing. Based on the word. She was forced to face herself. How do I get that? Verse Chapter 4, verse 15, she recognizes her need. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. He tells her, she says, ah, I got a need. I'm thirsty. And you're telling me to come and get this water? And if you give me this water, I'll never thirst again? And I won't have to come down here and do this all, every day? That's what I want. She understood her need. What is your need today? Your need today, if you don't know Jesus, is to come to Christ. That's your need. Verse 19, she recognized her sin. Jesus says, asks her a question. She says, well, by the way, well, no. He tells her, You're, you said well because you don't have, he asked her, where's her, her husband? Jesus says, you're right. You answered correctly because you've not had one, you've had five. And the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. So she recognized her need, and she recognized her sin. You can't get away from it. God will force you to see yourself as you are. Michael Jackson had the song, Man in the Mirror. When you look in the mirror, that's what's there. Whatever that sin is in our life, God forces us to see it for as it is. She recognized her need. She recognized her sin. And then verse 26, she recognized and told all who he was. Because what happens? She goes out and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Meanwhile, while she's doing this, that's why I said she came to Christ, because she recognized her need, she recognized her sin, and she, her, she immediately went out to witness to others of who Christ was, which was the clenching, clenching piece of evidence that her, that her conversion was real. If you've been born again by God, saved by the plowshares of the gospel, you will go out and tell somebody about the gospel. We learned that this past Monday, sitting in class. One of the points I got, I don't know about the other guys that they didn't get, but I got was that if we're not out fishing for men, we're not doing what Jesus called us to do. That's from the pastor on out. If I'm not fishing for men, then I'm not doing what the Lord really wants me to do. That's one. 
got to be a fisherman of men. Because if God saved me and called me and does a work of grace, I need to tell somebody, guess what? God's worked in me, and the same God that works in me can also work in you. Got problems in your marriage? I can talk about that. God's able. Got sickness in your family? God's able. Got death in your family? Why are we going through all this stuff for if not to witness to people how God is able to carry you through because we live in a world where people have no hope. They see no out. They see no direction. They, 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 they live their life as if life is getting ready to cave in on top of them and they don't sense the, the saving grace and a God who is able to do anything in our life. There is nothing impossible with God. a phone call last week and I was just like are you kidding me I get it I understand it but I'm thinking where is the people where is the church of God where are we when all this mess is going on not just cornerstone anybody that claims the name of Jesus when I was when, when I was going through the adoption process I was amazed at how many children thousands hundreds of thousands in the state of Ohio have no home they don't have a place to put their head and call somebody a place H-O-M-E. Nowhere. They're in some foster care, some place where all these kids are staying. Amazing. But then I thought to myself, no wonder young people are growing up and have no sense of identity. You got every modern convenience in our world and people are still <laughs> no hope. Can fly anywhere in the world go anywhere with our phones, pull up information at the drop of a hat, talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere, all this access to all this information, satellites all over the place, all kind of stuff, and people living their lives with no hope. Not just people who don't know Jesus, people who do. There's some, some of us. We're at our wits end. Well, yeah, we, some of us are, let's just be honest. Because that's the real world. Why did Jesus come? We're going to learn at the very end of this chapter why he came. He came to some people to understand, hey, 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 I am that living water. That if you really take me seriously and you really come to me, you will ne- the things of this world, will, you won't be thirsting and trying to clamor for. Don't worry about fame. Don't worry about fortune. Don't worry about everybody loving you. Don't worry about everybody caring about you. Don't worry about those things. Those things are nice in of themselves, but the main thing any man or girl needs to know is that they've been loved by God. See, the old timers understood it. We sophisticated modern wimps don't get it. Look, what would they say? If you need a mother, he would be your what? Your mother. If you need a father, whatever it is you need Jesus to be, that's who he will be for you. You're lonely, he'll be your friend. Now, yes, I get it. It's good to have people come alongside you and say, hey, I love you. But if by chance nobody in this world ever says that, there is a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? You got to know that. That's first base. Families are messed up. Parents are messed up. Siblings are messed up. Jesus is not messed up. 
Jobs are messed up. Here today, gone today. The world, we got so many people running to be presidents, it's, it's comical. My trust isn't in all those guys. My trust is in Jesus. And what he can do for me. I'm a witness. Are you a witness of what he's done? Can you witness that what Christ has done for you in your life? The disciples say, and I'm getting close. The disciples say, ah, they went to go get food. Jesus, you need to eat. And Jesus probably looked at them like I would sometimes look at some people and go, no, 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 you, you, you're missing the whole point. I have food that you know not of. Did somebody come, by, come in secret and give me food? Yeah, who, who came by Jesus and gave him food? Nobody came to Jesus and gave him food behind the disciples' back. What he's trying to get them to see is don't be caught up in the mundane. Food is important because you know it's important. Look at some of us. We like to eat. So you know it's important. We, everything we do is using sitting around food. But what Jesus is trying to say is, look, yeah, I know you went to get food, but guess what? I'm on a spiritual plane. I'm dealing with this woman and her eternal life. There's a time and place to eat, but there's also a time and place to serve the Lord. That's what he's, all he's trying to say. I have food to eat that you know not about. They asked a the question. Has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said, and here it is. This should be us. My, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Oh, wait a minute. Everybody's eating. Well, well, you know what? That's nice, but I have to be about my father's business. Everybody's going, Brother Tony, everybody's rushing to the fishing holes to go fishing. But you know that there's some things you need to do for God. You got to say, well, you know what? I may want to go fishing, but let me do the things of God first. Amen? There's a time and place for everything. Then he says, wait a minute. Let's just bring this on home. It's a little proverb. There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, and I'll tell you, lift up your eyes. Wait a minute. They're four months to the harvest. You see those fields out there? They're about ready to be harvested. Now, I've been dealing with this woman at the well. She's now come to me, but I just want to look up. Why would he tell them to look? Because they, their spiritual eyes were not open, much like we are today. We see what we see here, but we don't see beyond here. Some of us are stuck right here, right now. Well, this is what we used to be. This is what we used to have. No, 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 no. You can't go back and look and, 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 and remember back in the old days. Uh, no, no, no. Who are we now? And where are we going to go in the future? Jesus says, look up. Why did he tell them look up? Because while they're worried about eating, while they're worried, he's talking to them about evangelism, go out. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The fields are white, ready to be plucked. Because as he was talking, the Samaritans dressed in their white robes were coming across the fields as a contrast. There were the fields, here they come, and they wanted to know what? More about Jesus. More about Jesus, what I know. More of his saving grace to others show. More of his goodness, what I see. Amen? That's what the song says. More, more about Jesus. More. That's, is that our testimony? How much more do you need to know about God? As much as you can take. You cannot consume enough of God or enough of the word to say, I'm full now. I, I need no more. You can't get there. Amen? He says the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. He says, now wait a minute, just in case you don't understand something. One sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into your labor. In other words, the prophets in the Old Testament, some of those old guys, they laid the foundation. You are the beneficiary of what others have done. Can't get caught up with, well, I didn't do that. He didn't. No. Others have laid down the foundation so that whoever comes after us or whoever comes behind us may reap what we sow. I may never see the church full to capacity. Probably won't. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But one thing is for sure, if we lay it down, the next guy, that's what I'm trying to do. The next man that's going to be passing this church, I pray will not have to go through the heartache and the pain that I have to have, have, have to go, go through. It'll be a little bit more smoother for him because he's not cutting the trail freshly and anew. That's how I look at it. I'm just laying it for the next, I'm trying to make it easier for the next guy. He won't have to fight some of the battles I have, I'm having to fight because it's already been, people already get it. Amen? That, that makes sense, doesn't it? You're laying the foundation, hopefully, so that the next generation won't have to go through the heartaches and pains that we're going through. That's what it's all about. And we not, I'm not saying anything that's hard and cruel. That's reality. Jesus says, you're reaping. Somebody has already sowed. Somebody has already reaped. And you, he says in verse 36, 38, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. In other words, they've already done that. Your labor is made easier because somebody else already labored that you might enjoy the fruits of what they already did before you. Verse 39, many Samaritans, it says here, from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The need, the need for more. Some said, well, you know, she came back, she told us all this stuff. Oh, I believe. Same, same word, used the same way twice. Pistuo, to believe. They said, we believe because of the woman's testimony. Well, that's all right. Because her testimony, was, her testimony was, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. So they, she goes back, she tells them, they go, well, we believe what she said because she told us that he told her all she ever did. We believe. Wonderful. Okay? They believed it so much that they said, well, by the way, can you stay a little longer? I have never had that experience in all my years of ministry where the preaching of the word or the teaching of the word is going on, and somebody says, hey, can we stay a little bit longer and learn more about the Bible? Can you preach a little longer, Pastor? Because this stuff is getting good. I'm liking this. It ain't never happened. I'm not saying it won't, but it hasn't happened yet. Jesus is talking. Jesus talked to this woman. She goes back, and they ask Jesus, can you stay? What does Jesus do? He stays two days longer, extra. He spent the time because they asked they had a hungering and a thirsting for the word of God. You want to know what makes the pastor happy is when people have a desire and a hunger to want to know and learn the word of God. That's what makes the pastor happy. That's when he's like, oh, wow, they, they really want to know. Not when we're watching the clock and going, okay, about five more minutes, Pastor, and you need to wrap this up because I got to get home. I got to cook because the ball game is on at 1 o'clock. They said, stay with us. 
He stays there in two days. Now, this is the key. This is, this, is the most, this is one of the most exciting parts of this whole section. And here it is. Many more. Some believe because of her testimony, but many more believe because of the word. It's all right to testify. It's all right to tell what God has done for you. I mean, I appreciate that. But I need what Paul said is a more sure word from God. I need to hear the word. I need to know that in the word, the assurance of my salvation is not based on what you say God did for you, but what I know God did for me when he died on the cross. Somewhere in this book, I believe it does tell me all that I need to know about my salvation. My salvation does not rest on my feelings, on the fact that one Sunday morning I felt convicted and I got up off of my seat that I had been sitting for a couple years and I was convicted to say, yes, Lord, today is the day I'm coming down and accept Christ as my personal Savior. No, it was the conviction of the Word. I grew up in an era where when you sat in church, if you did not know Jesus, the preacher would ask the question, how many of you know Jesus? Raise your hands. People, some people put their hands up. Then he would ask the next question, which if you didn't know, you would try to get out of it. But you knew if you do, if you knew him or not. How many in here are unsaved, have never professed Christ as their Savior? Raise your hands. Yeah. You didn't see nobody going, I'm one. Hey. Hey. Me. You might not do that. Pastor, you know, people aren't even going to handle that now. You know, hey, Pastor, don't ask people if they know Jesus and raise their hand or if they don't know Jesus. Pastor, that, that, people get uncomfortable. Well, you need to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Amen? You do. You're at ease in science. As long as you blend in, you feel like you're part of. Well, no, there's no blending. Either you know or you don't know. He stays. He gives them the word. Many more believed because of what he said. They heard, for, they heard for themselves. And what did they say? We know that this is indeed. Because of what the, he said and what the word backed up, they were able to say that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Go back a few chapters. John already tells us Jesus is the Savior. He is the Son of God. That's the whole purpose of this book, to tell us and tell them that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Sister Tammy sing it. Jesus is the best thing. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to that woman. She had all kind of men, all kind of relationships, all kind of stuff going on in her life. But the best thing that ever happened to her was her conversation with the man of God in the person of Jesus Christ, who took the time to give to her the words of eternal life. That's the best thing that ever happened. Falling in love with Jesus. But better yet, being loved by Jesus. See, many of us say we fall in love. If you fall in love, that presupposes that you can fall out of love. Some of us have done that with Jesus. We fell in love at one point in time, but because things haven't worked like we thought they were going to work, we've now fallen out. But if I've been loved by Jesus, I know he loves me and I love him, then whatever happens around me will not change my course of life. He will love me because he saved me. He's got to because he's God. 
If Jesus loves me enough that he died for me, and I claim that by faith, then his love supersedes any of my falling up or down or in or out. Amen? Just being loved by Jesus.